Good morning. Hey, you know, today is Family Celebration Sunday. And so whether you're here in the gathering or you're watching from Ording Valley or across the hall in Traditions or online, you're part of the family of God as it meets at Sound Life Church. And you know what? There's lots of other pieces of the family of God out there. And Sound Life Church is not the only great church in the world. It's just one great church in the world. And uh, I'm glad you're part of the family here. God places his family really in his mind in strategic locations where they can, where they can accomplish the same purpose that we have. They might articulate it differently or they might not be living up to their purpose. And we always have to work at living up to the purpose and the calling that God has for us. But he places his church all around the world, and we are placed here. We are placed here in the locations that we're sitting this morning with the people that we're sitting with, and we go out to the workplaces and families and neighborhoods that we go out to because Jesus wanted his church there, and you are it. You're the church. You're Jesus' hands and feet for impact week, but also for every week. You know, Jesus wants every week to be an impact week in your life. Sometimes we join together in certain efforts, but we call today Family Celebration Sunday, and we've done that for a few years now, and really that represents a couple different things. One, it represents the fact that we have our, our bylaw requ required. Anybody excited about bylaws? You know, just wave your hands. Bylaws are the most exciting thing in the world, right? But, um, you know, one of my staff members is waving, and they're lying. So I know how excited you are <laughs> about bylaws. But our bylaws require an annual business meeting. But, you know, in the church, business serves ministry, not the other way around. And our annual business meeting is more than just a, a list of numbers and a list of decisions. It's a moment in our family's year where we come together and we evaluate both what God has done. We talk a little bit about where he's leading us, what he's going. We talk about the leadership of the church. And, and often we uh, elect as a membership of the family of God new deacons to, to uh, serve our church. Some of those things, if there's major decisions affecting finances and, and properties and things like that, we'll bring that to the membership of the congregation to help make those decisions because we want that sense that the church had in the book of Acts where it seemed good to all of them and to the Holy Spirit, right? And that comes in different levels and layers. But I hope that if you're a part of Sound Life Church, whether you're a part of our membership and if you're like, what is church membership? I'm gonna talk about that a little bit this morning. Um, or you just call this your church home, your church family, I would encourage you to be there at 4 o'clock this afternoon. We're doing a little switcheroo on you because the kids are actually going to be in the auditorium. There is kids ministry happening for all ages. And the adults are going to be in the kids auditorium because you guys helped make some, some huge adjustments to that last year. And we want to let you see a little bit of the results of that. But I want to ask you to be here. It's a family thing. And I don't know about you, I remember my parents sitting us down from time to time and saying, hey, it's time for a family meeting. Did anybody have family meetings in their family? Generally, family meetings only happen for bad things, in my family at least. It was like, oh boy, who's in trouble? What's happening? You know, what, what major decision are my parents making that's going to change the trajectory of my life? But in this, in this situation, a family meeting is an exciting thing. So I hope that you'll be there um, and make a point of being there. And we're also going to do something at the end of this service that has become a bit of a tradition here. It is also our Mission Forward Commitment Sunday, which means that this is another area where the family of God at Sound Life joins together all venues, all campuses, in order to, to compile our gifts to the Lord and if you've been reading in the Bible plan this week, you read about how a different season that all the Israelites brought their gifts together to accomplish the worship ministry of the tabernacle at one season. It, mission Forward is kind of like us doing that to help accomplish the mission of the church both locally and globally through missionaries, strategic partners like Convoy of Hope, like Priority One and others, and a lot of the organizations in our community that we partner with as well to, have an, to accomplish the effect that we are meant to have. On our community. And so at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to pray about one of these cards. I'm going to ask you uh, to pray about what would God have you do. And you know what? It's totally okay. If God says to you zero, I'm totally fine with that. And if God says to you a different number, then that's great too. I don't know how much anybody in our church gives. That's just, I, I could know. I don't know. I don't want to know, actually. The only time I know is if somebody's being evaluated for deaconship, I know if they give. I don't know how much they give because that's part of a leadership standard that we'll talk about. So I'll never know. But I want you to be obedient to Jesus, to experience his blessing, and to be a blessing to the world around you. Why am I so serious about that? Because as you've heard me say before, Sound Life Church exists to help people flourish through knowing Jesus. Have you heard that before? 
Does that sound a little bit familiar? Sound Life Church exists. The entire reason that we exist is to help people flourish through knowing Jesus. And by the way, those people are not just you and me. Those people are all the people that we cross paths with every week, that we, you know, drive down the road with every week, the people that are commuting alongside of us, the people that are shopping alongside of us, the people that are living alongside of us, working alongside of us. We are here as Jesus' church to help them flourish. And God does that by helping us flourish so that we can help them flourish. It's never a completed process. He doesn't wait for you to be like, okay, Jesus, I am flourishing at a satisfactory level. You may now use me to help someone else flourish. No, part of your flourishing is getting in the fight to help other people flourish in a very broken world. But I want to remind you something. The only true flourishing that happens is through Jesus. Everything else is fleeting, temporary, and often causes more harm than good. But through Jesus, our flourishing can be lasting, eternal, meaningful, purposeful, and can have an impact in both our lives and the lives of those around us. And we've talked over, over these last couple of years that flourishing happens for us when we live with wholehearted devotion to Jesus. We give our whole heart to Jesus. He's our number one desire. He's our number one pursuit. He's our number one goal. Knowing Jesus and pleasing Jesus, when that is the treasure of your heart, flourishing happens in your life. And when anything else is the treasure of your heart, flourishing does not happen in your life. Not for very long. And that devotion leads us to continual growth in Jesus, that we're not called to devote ourselves to Jesus one time, we're called to grow in devotion to Jesus, to constantly grow in that relationship with Jesus. And our growing, though growing takes effort and work, our growing in Jesus always produces flourishing as well. And that leads us to living on sacrificial mission with Jesus, that we are called to be missional people in the world. We are not our own mission despite what the world around us may tell us. Your goal in life, your purpose in life, is not just to feel good for as long as you can. Your purpose, in fact, great satisfaction comes even through suffering when you bring flourishing to other people. And all of this is meant to happen in a committed relationship with the family of God. Jesus is not interested in Lone Rangers. In fact, God hardly ever operates in Lone Ranger capacity. He only does it as a, as, a, as a problem solver when no one else will serve Jesus. Then he might call you out and say, you're the only one. But even Elijah, who was one of the greatest Lone Rangers and was like, God, I'm the only one. Take me home. Jesus is like, you're not the only one. Quit whining. Because Jesus wants us to operate in the family of God. We're meant to work in interconnected relationships. And you know the thing about family Guaranteed to be frustrating. (laughs) Guaranteed. I've never known someone who grew up in a family and they're like, yeah, everything was perfect all the time. No, because broken people living in close proximity cause friction in those relationships, right? And family can be frustrating, but Jesus calls us to family. He invites us to family, and he knows that sometimes those frustrations actually are breaking the rough edges off of us. And they're making us flourish more and bring more flourishing. And so these are the biblical values of the church. They're our articulation of them at Sound Life Church. They're not, I didn't come up with them. Our staff didn't come up with them. They are biblical values that we articulate in this way because we are serious. And I want you to know this. I am serious about bringing flourishing to this community Jesus' way. I don't know how to do anything else. I don't want to do anything else. And frankly, I don't want you to spend your time and effort and energy and life breath and heartbeat and creativity doing anything else. Because I don't want you to waste your time. I don't want you to waste your life. And Jesus has a way for you to bring flourishing through the careers and callings and relationships and spheres of influence that you operate in every day. These are the biblical values, and together they lead us to this ideal concept in the New Testament called maturity. Anybody ever get excited about the word maturity? I know I still don't. The longer I live, the more I'm like, I should probably be more of that, right? But often when someone brings up maturity, it's part of a disciplinary conversation. It's part of a corrective conversation. But Jesus calls us to maturity in him, but his maturity looks a little different than the world around us. The world around us might use terms like, like financial maturity, 
right? The world around us might use terms like sexual maturity. The world around us, we, we measure things by numbers, by years and dollars and things like that. And the Bible does not measure your maturity by years and dollars. It measures your maturity by those values that we just talked about. The purpose of this family is to help each other mature. In fact, in a moment when the Apostle Paul was talking about the purpose of the leadership in the church, and I found that people have all sorts of ideas about what the leadership of the church should be doing, pastors and deacons and that kind of thing. Um, In fact, sometimes people have no idea what we should be doing. They're like, what do you do the rest of the week? I'm like, let's have a three-hour meeting and talk about it. But I don't have three hours, so let's make it 30 minutes. But here's here's what the the leadership of the church are supposed to be doing. Here in Ephesians 4, verse 12, it's talking about the leadership. And and it says there, the leadership's responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature. In the Lord. There's that word again. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And I just want to ask you this morning, what do you think Jesus means by maturity? What does maturity look like? And think about that for a minute. What does maturity look like? And maybe a better way to ask that is, what does it look like for you to measure up to the full and complete standard of Jesus? I mean, that's a little intimidating. Like, Rank yourself on that on a zero to 10 scale. Where are you at measuring up to Jesus, right? And we're probably like, I mean, if you're, if you're more like Jesus, you probably rank yourself lower. You're like, I'm, I'm a two. Okay, negative two, right? But Jesus says, hey, I want you to be like me. I want you to be the Jesus version of yourself in all your relationships, workplace, all the other dynamics that you have. I want you to live the way I would live your life. And so we face every day wondering, Jesus, how would you handle my life today? How would you handle my pain and struggles today? Jesus, how would you handle my victories and blessings today? Jesus, how would you handle the difficult people, the wonderful people? Jesus, what would you do? And the goal of the leadership of the church is to help the entire church family mature. Why? Because when we are mature in our flourishing in Jesus, we are better equipped to help other people mature and flourish as well. And so Paul had some practical things in mind, though. You know, Paul is so good at breaking down these big concepts. And so we hear concepts like maturity in Jesus, living up to the full and complete standard of Jesus. And if we just took a quiz right now, there'd probably be all sorts of good things that we wrote down that this is what it means to be mature, like Jesus is mature. But in another passage where Paul is teaching Timothy, a young leader who's never seen Jesus, never met Jesus, knows these same scriptures, and is like, what am am I doing here, Paul? Paul's like, well, you're supposed to equip people to look like Jesus. And Timothy's like, I don't know what Jesus looked like. And most of the people in my church are not traveling preachers. And most of them don't do miracles on a daily basis. So what does it look like for them to be like Jesus? And this is what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Paul describes how to choose leaders in the church based on a lifestyle that he felt was attainable for everyone in the church. And I want you to hear that. This isn't just qualifications for pastors and deacons. It is that. But the goal is that anybody in the church could mature in this way and fulfill leadership capacity in the kingdom of God, maybe in a position or maybe in their spheres of influence. But this is the kind of people that Paul chose for leaders 1 Timothy 3 reads this way, verse 1, this is a trustworthy saying, if someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. It's good to be called into the ministry. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, And have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. And he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. But he must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. If a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? 
And a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. And in the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. And in the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and he must manage his children and household well. And those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. Those are the standards for leadership. And before I go any further, I should probably say I'm not perfect at those standards. I'm supposed to be. I'm accountable to be. And I will stand before the Lord accountable for every one of those things listed in that passage. And so will anybody else who takes any leadership role in the kingdom of God. And you know what? Occasionally, we, we as a culture, we really like to, to, to judge leaders, don't we? Whether they're political or religious or any of those other things. Can I just say, you don't need to judge leaders because God's really good at it. In fact, leaders have this way of, of somehow escaping justice, right? Because they generally control everything in their spheres of influence. They don't escape justice. The Bible says that leaders are doubly accountable. And Jesus, you know what double accountability means? It means double reward or double punishment. There are levels of both reward and punishment talked about in the New Testament. And so, you know, there is appropriate accountability measures, and we try to take those appropriate accountability measures. You'll hear about some of those in just a moment. But the reality is that no leader will ever perfectly live up to these things except Jesus. But Paul is giving a set of standards that he's saying these are the kinds of people that are living out Jesus in their regular spheres of influence. This passage also, because it's directed to uh, directed at men in a community, has often been used to keep women from being in leadership roles in the church. And we're not going to talk about all that this morning except to say that there are some translation issues there and some cultural issues there that when considered, in my mind, do not, uh, do not keep women from serving in those roles. Though I respect the theology of those that see it the other way. It's, it's one of those areas of clarity in the Bible that can be really difficult, but I see enough other areas in Scripture where Paul and, and others in, in the New Testament and the Old Testament recognize women in significant leadership positions. The, goal, the question is not whether women can lead in the church. It's where and how, and often that's, that's, uh, that's discerned by two things, spiritual gifting and Christian character. Those are the things that we should look for in leadership roles in the church. Are they gifted to do it? Has the Holy Spirit kind of gifted them, designed them to do it? And do they have the character to do it? And what Paul focuses on here first and foremost are what does character, Christian character, looked, look like lived out in day-to-day relationships? And I want to sum up all of those things in these three ways, that our responsibility to Jesus is, is demonstrated in how we manage ourselves, in how we manage our close personal relationships, family, friends, close community, and how we manage our relationships with outsiders, our transactional relationships, our business relationships, our day-to-day driving down the road, shopping in stores, and working with coworkers kinds of relationships. And our level of maturity is assessed by how we handle our responsibility in those three areas. Did we manage ourselves? Did we manage our close personal relationships? And we manage relationships with people that we owe nothing to very well. And if we can say, yes, we did that, then the Bible says that, man, that's, you're on the right track. That's why it stresses both, both community relationships and family relationships and then your relationship with yourself. Are you in control of yourself or is yourself in control of you? That's why it mentions several addictive behaviors, two of which are, are uh, financial addiction, the other one is substance addiction, Right? It also mentions, are you in control of your kids or are your kids in control of you? And by the way, respect is something that's not demanded, it's earned. 
And so that question is, are you disciplining and leading your families in a way that is cultivating healthy respect, right? And then it says, and what's your reputation with outsiders? So these three areas where we demonstrate our responsibility first to Jesus by living his way in all of these other spheres of influence in our lives. And so let me say it this way. Maturity is determined by accepting God-given responsibility for yourself and others. That's how it's determined. Now, you don't get to choose what you're responsible for. You don't get to choose how many relationships. You don't get to choose always what spheres of influence, what workplace. You know, you don't get to choose, you know, off. I mean, you might want to choose, but you don't always get to choose whether you have a spouse, have kids, those kinds of things. But you do get to choose how you take responsibility for the relationships that you have. And that is your, your job before Jesus is to take full responsibility and don't you love that word too? And as your pastor, I just want you to know this morning that you are responsible. And you're not responsible to me, you're responsible to God. And God, as we'll talk about at the end of this, he's going to, at the end, he's going to lovingly bring you before his throne and he's going to say, hey, here's what I did give you. I know you're very well aware of what I didn't give you, but here's what I did give you. What did you do with those things? And most importantly, what did you do with those people that I put in your life? What did you do when they did what you wanted? What did you do when they didn't do what you wanted? Did you treat them like I would treat them? Did you represent the family name well? And you know what's beautiful is God has grace for us. There's mercy for our failures and our mistakes. But one of the, maybe the greatest grief in my life is where I fall short in those things. Where I have fallen short as a parent, a husband, a friend. Where I have fallen short in character issues. Those are my greatest regrets. Not leadership decisions that I made that later I'd go back and be like, ah, I wish I would have done that one differently. Not financial decisions that I made, though I have a couple of those. And I'm like, I wish I would have done that differently. My greatest regrets are where I haven't handled the people in my life as well as Jesus would. And he calls us to that. He calls us to that kind of responsibility. And you know, here's the interesting thing. You have to take responsibility to get maturity. But then maturity calls you to take more responsibility. Isn't that an interesting thing? So you might say, like, I'm not very mature. Cool, we'll talk about that. Take some responsibility. And isn't that a great word to our culture right now? Speaking of, we're not in our our Sermon on the Mount series, but we're still talking about a major culture change. In our culture, we want no responsibility and all of the privilege, right? In fact, we are willing to abdicate anything and everything to employers, to parents, to government, to other, to to bosses, whatever. We want to abdicate all responsibility to other people and say, but it's your job to make my life good. And can I tell you, the world's never worked that way. The world will never work that way. The world always takes more than it gives. And when you abdicate responsibility, you lose more than you get. Every time. Remember that. As people that we celebrated this morning in prayer, in the gathering, we prayed for the nation of Ukraine. And we celebrated the fact that we are in a free nation. Our freedom can be used for good or we can give it up. And we will always lose. We will always lose. And so we are responsible to use our responsibility to be more mature, to take responsibility. And then as we mature, we're always more responsible. You never get to a certain point of maturity and God's like, you're good now. You don't have to care about anybody else and they all have to care about you. Do you know how I know you'll never reach that level? Because God never has. God has always taken responsibility, even for people that rejected him, walked away from him, forsook him, said, God, I want nothing to do with you, and God says, I still care about you. I'm still going to extend grace to you. I'm still going to invite you back to me. I'm still going to give you the basic graces of this world, even though you have rejected the creator of them. I am still going to give my life for you on the cross, even if you never accept it, I will die for you. I'm still going to give my spirit to you, though you're still not holy like my spirit is holy. I'm going to give it to you because God never stops taking responsibility. And so we won't either. There is only one option. 
we can mature and be better at handling responsibility. And Jesus wants to show us that way. And this is the way families work. This is the way healthy families work. Not everybody grows up in a healthy family. In fact, many of us don't grow up in perfectly healthy families. And I would say that 99.99% of families have some dysfunction that Jesus always wants to heal and correct in our lives. But the reality is that a healthy family works this way. The most mature members of the family have the greatest amount of responsibility. And all the parents hung their heads and said, yeah, yeah. And the least mature members of the family take very little responsibility. But none of us want our teenagers to continue to act like toddlers. And none of us appreciate the coworkers that we have that still act like toddlers. Because there is a maturity process that is meant to happen in a family where people develop through being given responsibility and held accountable to responsibility to handle more responsibility. And that process cultivates maturity. And maturity in families is supposed to result in maturity in communities. Do you know that the health of this church 20 years from now will be far more related to how you cultivate your family relationships than it will be according to my leadership? Because I can preach the Bible all day long, and people have been preaching the Bible for years, and that doesn't mean every church is good or healthy. Because it's about how do we cultivate the maturity through the responsibility that God has given us. And so every person in the family, here's, here's what I also know, though. Just because you're immature in a family doesn't mean that you're not valued. All of us were born into immaturity, but we were meant to be valued by the most mature people in our families. I valued my children just the same as when they were less mature as now as they are growing in maturity. Jesus values us when we are completely immature just as much. He doesn't value us more like, oh, now you get a gold star, maturity star, I like you more. No, Jesus loves us the same. And you know that in the family of God, it's the same way. You, you could give your life to Jesus today, and your life could be an absolute mess. And you might not be ready for certain levels of responsibility in the church, but you're going to be loved just as much. You're going to be loved just as much. And that's the way a family works. Everyone gets valued, but the most mature members take responsibility. And that is what we expect of our membership. You heard me use that word earlier. And later today at our, at our annual business meeting and family celebration meeting, those that have, have walked through the process of membership will vote on some of the members to become deacons, to take a higher level of responsibility. And we don't have any other major decisions that need to be voted on today, but there are times in a church's history where the congregation, through its membership, which we would describe as ministry partners, those among us who have taken responsibility for the church as a whole, it's time for the members to vote on prayerfully, led by the Holy Spirit, as we see in Scripture, to vote on some of those decisions. And I apologize if you're a little bored with, with the dynamics, but I think it's important for us to understand how the church works in healthy ways. Just like I'm so proud of so many of you parents going through our parenting class on Wednesday night because you can have a baby a lot, a lot easier than you can raise a baby. And from what I witnessed, having a baby is not that easy. So raising it is a lot harder, right? So we learn how to do these things well. The same thing with church family. We have to learn how to be healthy. There's plenty of unhealthy examples in society around us. And so those who have accepted responsibility will have a voice in the decision-making, but the whole family is welcome. In fact, it's healthy to learn how the family works. And so we actually, I'm going to walk you through our membership covenant because I think these are great goals. It's our articulation of what it means to be a mature member. These are the things that you take responsibility for in the church to take responsibility for other people right? And our members, our ministry partners, have accepted this responsibility for the rest of us. They've said, I'm going to do that, not for myself, because we can all do these things on our own and feel good about ourselves. But when we commit, that's responsibility. So our SLC members commit to the Sound Life Church family these seven things in our membership covenant. First, they commit to study and submit to Scripture personally. Because if you're not submitting to Scripture personally, you have no right to make decisions for anyone else. Can we just like meditate on that one for a minute? Husbands, you have no right to tell your wives what to do if you're not submitting to Scripture. Husbands and wives, you have no right to 
take it out on your children if you're not submitting yourself to Scripture. Please don't do it in the name of Jesus either. Right? Bosses, you are accountable for how you handle your, your employees. Right? We're, we're accountable, and we have to submit to Scripture. Secondly, we are, our members commit to engage in worship services regularly because corporate worship is one of the most precious gifts that we give to Jesus. When his family comes together to engage in his presence, it's one of the best things that we do for Jesus. And the way we describe this with our membership is this doesn't mean that church is an optional thing when you need a weekend feel good. You're like, I've been down this week. I should probably go to church. If, if that's you, great. You're welcome in this family. But maturity says, I go to church to worship Jesus for Jesus before I go just to worship for myself. I go to give God honor whether I get that warm sense of his presence or not. I go because he saved my soul, whether he saves this situation in my, in my work life or my family life or not. And that is why we go. And so we say to our members, hey, unless you're sick or out of town on vacation, we're assuming you're going to be at church. Like, what? Like every Sunday? Yes. And it's not because I need your attention. Ask my wife. I talk all the time by myself. And my kids know I have them to preach to all the time. You need to go to church for you. You need to go to church because Jesus wants you to. This whole like church is there when I want it, that's garbage. That's for the immature. That's toddler Christianity. That's not mature Christianity. I don't even care if you go to this church. Get in a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church and worship God every Sunday with his family. And quit making sorry excuses like, I don't feel like it today. You know why you don't feel like it? Because you're not in God's presence. That's why you don't feel like it. I'm just taking a moment to be mean, okay? But here's the thing. We need this. This is what I tell my children. This is what I, because I want them to flourish. I want you to flourish. And do you know what happens to sheep? who don't go with the flock to the shepherd. They get eaten by wolves. And the devil's like, yeah, just you need another sleep-in day. Really? We have an 11 o'clock service. Come on. So you need to come and worship Jesus regularly at one of his Bible-believing faithful churches. And if you're mad at me now, then go to another church. But go to church. Jesus deserves your corporate worship, right? Number three, our members commit to participate in a discipleship group or ministry team as people that need to grow. Our most mature members commit to settings where they will grow more. You will never achieve perfect growth status in this church. I know I won't. So we commit to that. I can't preach every one of them or we'll never get through this. Let's move on to number four, though I want to because they're really good. Number four, they commit to financially partner with Sound Life Church in accordance with biblical stewardship principles. This one always makes somebody mad because we're talking about money. But here's the thing. We're talking about the things God calls us to do. And here's the biblical stewardship principles. First of all, you are called to tithe. You're called to give 10%. The first 10% of whatever God gives you back to someone else. This is something I expect my children to do with their birthday presents. Like, you make your kids tithe off of their birthday money? No, I don't make them do anything. I tell them, hey, this is what we do because God provides everything that we have. My wife and I do it off of every dollar that comes through our house. And often, if there's a monetary value to gifts that we receive, we will tithe off of that as well because everything that we have comes from Jesus. And tithing is the way that since before the law of Moses, it has been demonstrated first by Abraham, the great father of faith, that this is how we give back to God what he has given to us. We give 10% to God. And here's what I will also say. God's so gracious with us. If you're not there yet, if you're like, I don't even know how to do that without my children being homeless a month from now, that is okay. But what does 1% look like? How are you working towards obedience with Jesus? And that's how we, how we do that. Secondly, biblical stewardship looks like wisdom. It means living on a budget. I hate budgets. And now I manage a giant one for this church. But I know the importance of budgets. 
I know how important they are to managing finances well, to wisdom being implemented through our financial capacity as individuals and as a corporation, right, as an organization, as a church family. And then finally, love. We give generously because we love God and we love people. So you are responsible to tithe. That's the first thing in your budget as a mature follower of Jesus. If you're not there yet, work your way there. That's okay. After you tithe, you are meant to use the rest of your finances to take care of those you are responsible for with wisdom. And then as part of that, you are supposed to demonstrate generosity, recognizing that you only care for those you love because God has taken care of you. And so you give generously to those around you. For my wife and I, and I say this not to brag, I say this because I want you to know I will never ask you to do something that I am not willing to do myself. For my wife and I, this looks, we've had about a 10-year goal of working our way towards giving 20% of our income. We tithe 10%, and we want to give an additional 10% to missions and compassion and those kinds of things. And we're not to 20% yet, but every year we try to work our way a little bit closer. And those of you trying to, like, raise a family on a budget, you know that's a challenge. That's not like, oh, man, we've got so much money. What do we do with it? Give it away! No, my wife and I, we have, like, loving Christ-centered conflict over this. Like, well, where do we shift? How do we sacrifice? Where are we taking away from to do more of this? But you know what we always come back to? We want to invest in eternity. I want to invest in eternity. Like, I, I, don't, I don't need another pair of shoes. I don't need fancier clothes. I mean, maybe you wish I did wear some fancier clothes sometimes. I don't know. What did you do? My wife. Sorry, you that are on, watching on screen, you're welcome that you didn't see that. Disrespectful, hurtful behavior I will need healing for. Jesus. You know, but the reality is that we sacrifice things we want because we love God more than those things. And that's the heart of offerings. That's the heart of offerings. Do you know that the people of God, we don't gain respect from the world by being better at worldly things in the world. Have you noticed that? In fact, the last 20 years of church in America have been spent on getting as good or better at the world's game than the world is. And we just put Jesus, hopefully, in the middle of it. Usually you can't see him through all the noise. But we're like, now they'll love Jesus. And Jesus is like, I never asked you to help me be more lovable. I asked you to love me radically so other people wonder why I'm so lovable. We do that with our finances and as well as other things. And so if you need help with that, here's the thing. You can come to me and say, Caleb, I've never given a dollar to the church. I'm not going to be mad at you. And I would love to help you walk through that. Like, how do I, how do I move to that shift? How do, I, how do I make that culture shift in my life, my family, okay? So, um, secondly, or not secondly, fiftly, thank you, to serve others through ministry in the church. We are committed not to just grow and be recipients of growth, not to just sit in a growth group for the rest of my life or sit on a ministry team where the pastor is always feeding into me the rest of my life, but we commit to serve. We commit to invest in other people. And you know what? Around this room and across our venues, there's a million different spiritual gifts, literally. That many spiritual gifts are residing in our church family, dozens of them probably in each person. You're like, dozens? I only know one. Yes, because the more you serve, the more you see God use you in gifts you never even knew you had. You start with the ones you know, and, you, and God will reveal things that you didn't know, but you have to serve. In fact, one of the things we encourage our members to do is to serve somewhere a alongside going to a, so attend a Sunday morning service and serve somewhere else in the church. Serve in a growth group. Serve on a Wednesday night with all of our family ministries. Serve in another service if you're on a campus that has multiple services, that we serve one another. And it makes us flourish and them too. And then sixth, we commit, members commit to praying consistently for the leadership and ministry of, the, of Sound Life Church. And again, if you're not praying, this is prayer for the direction of the church. This isn't prayer like, God, will you bless Caleb more with new clothes that his wife will like? <laughs> I mean, you can pray those things. But 
It's about praying that the church will remain in tune with God's spirit. It's about praying that the leadership will, will walk under the fear of God and in the love of God. I want you to pray more than you pray anything else for Pastor Caleb. I want you to pray, God, will you protect him from sin and the enemy? Will you keep him from those things that sidetrack so many Christian leaders? Pray that over our pastors. Pray for sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Pray that God will speak to our deacon team through the Holy Spirit. Pray that he'll speak to the leadership of the church and that he'll lead our membership closer to him. Pray those things over the church because you know what? Jesus loves to answer those prayers. We want to be a church in tune with him. And then finally, the seventh thing is that our members commit, regardless of their level of spiritual gifts or comfort level, to strive to share the good news of Jesus in their spheres of influence. Looks different in all of our lives, but we commit to being willing to be witnesses of Jesus because he's called us all to be witnesses. We don't shirk the responsibility, we embrace it. These are the responsibilities of those who step up and say, I'm gonna be, church is gonna be more than about me getting fed. In fact, if you left a church because you weren't getting fed, it might be because you weren't feeding anybody else. Or it might be because they were not preaching the Bible and it was really weak sauce. So there's a lot, let's just be real about that. So, Your job is to commit to these things and grow because you are both being fed by your relationship with Jesus and feeding others. Now, I'll kind of roll, I'll kind of finish with this, that the Sound Life Church leadership, the pastoral team and the deacon team have have another level of commitment. Covenant is always about commitment, multiple directions. And by the way, both members and leadership are committing these things to the family of God, regardless of whether you ever become members, regardless of whether you ever serve, ever give, any of those things, we are committing these things to you on behalf of Jesus, because we love you and he loves you. But the leadership of the church commits to both the membership and the SLC community as a whole, first to remain anchored in the word of God. Now, I'll tell you this. I'm not going to preach good sermons all the time, but if I stop preaching the Bible, get out of here. Don't go to this church. If I can't give a good theological reason behind my, the way I see scripture, don't go here. Go somewhere, and, and, and if I am really entertaining but I'm not preaching the Bible, go somewhere else less entertaining that's preaching the Bible. Stop, the, so, many, so much of maturity is stop doing what's entertaining and feel good for you and do what's right. Do what's right. So we commit to remain anchored in the word of God. Secondly, we commit to create a culture where everyone is valued. That's the family of God. You're not gonna come in these doors and not be valued. We love you. Regardless of your level of spiritual maturity, you are wanted here. Third, we commit to facilitating corporate celebration of the Lord Jesus. We, create, we seek to create an atmosphere that hosts the presence of God in all of our venues at least once a week. We want you to come into a place where you can meet with God and meet with the family of God in God's presence and be refreshed. And online, we do our best to bring it to your living room. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing like being with the people of God. Fourth, we commit to equipping believers to do ministry locally and globally, which means we're committing to empowering you, equipping you, calling you, training you, challenging you to do what God has called you to do. We are committed to encouraging and challenging people towards spiritual growth, which means we're not going to stop challenging you to grow more. We're committed to employing a pastoral leadership team that is accessible, accountable, and exemplary in Christian faith and practice. That means that you should know a pastor or two on this staff. And that if you want to meet with a pastor, it doesn't mean that you always get exactly what pastor you want when you want it, because there's a lot of you and not a lot of us, but it means that we're going to be available to shepherd you, particularly in moments of need. It means that we're accountable to you. And that's another value of the deacons and the membership of the church is that if necessary, you can remove pastors. It's in our bylaws that if I cross a line, our deacons can remove me from my position. I'm not a king of this castle. Jesus is. And then finally, we commit to operating with financial integrity. 
You have a right at the business meeting later today to see that the finances have been led by the deacon team and by the pastoral team in a way that makes a lot of sense. Now, you don't get to call every decision because there are certain levels of responsibility that you have to take on to make those decisions. But you do have a right to hold us accountable to making good, justifiable, wise, godly decisions. That's what we commit to. And here's the thing. I know for some of you, you're like, why are we talking about this, Caleb? Can we get back to, like, you know, the preachy stuff? And here's what I want you to know. We need to understand God's expectations if we're going to not be swept along in cultural expectations. And these, this covenant is our articulation of the things that the New Testament calls the people of God to do. And when we do beyond that, that's wonderful. There are other things not mentioned here, but I think these are the expectations of the people of God throughout Scripture and throughout history. We're called to those things. And here's what I can tell you. You're like, man, Caleb, I, needed, I came in today and I needed encouragement, and you're just like punching me in the mouth with all these things I should be doing. And here's the deal. I want to say, first of all, I love you, and I never want you to feel punched in the mouth. Sometimes when I meet with Jesus, I feel a little like swatted on the backside, if you know what I'm saying. Like, I feel a little disciplined every now and then, and, and sometimes that, that's part of maturity, right? But here's what I want you to know. Matthew 25, 21 is just one of the, the most encouraging and haunting verses in Scripture. It's the parable of the talents. It's where the master God is speaking to those servants about what they have done with what he gave them in life. And he says this to the ones, to both of them, no matter how much they'd been given, who, who invested their lives well. He said, it says, the master was full of, of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Now, if you're like me when someone's like, I have a lot more responsibility for you. Let's celebrate. I'm like, I don't want to celebrate that. I'm going to go over here and cry for a little while. (laughs) But here's the reality of the kingdom. When God gives responsibility, it always comes with reward. It always comes with privilege. It always comes with God giving more. God always ties responsibility to privilege. He gives you privilege so that you can take responsibility. And when you take responsibility, he gives you more privilege, which results in more responsibility and more privilege. And do you know what? Some of the things that have been the most difficult in my life are the most rewarding in my life. Do you know I spent the first two years of marriage thinking, why is marriage a good thing? This is really hard. I don't get to do what I want all the time anymore. Meanwhile, Jeanette was like across the room like, man, this is really hard. Why did I do this? Why did I? Like the first two years, it was pretty rough in the Bryant household. Luckily, our kids were too young to remember that. But here's the the deal. Now that I've looked at this over 16 years coming up, not quite there, but now that I've looked at this, and some of you are like, yeah, try 60 years, right? But here's the, here's the deal. Over 16 years now, I can honestly say my marriage gets better every year. It literally gets better. In every category, it gets better every year. It gets better and better and better. And so I look back, and I'm like, wow, sticking with the responsibility then is really paying off now. And now parenting First couple years of parenting, sorry kids, glad you don't remember this, but I did not enjoy being a parent. I'm like, what is this? It's a lot of work. Nobody's paying me to do this work. Why am I doing this work? Because I'll look really bad as a pastor if I stop doing it. But now as I'm watching the human beings that my children are growing to become, the, the, the young adults that they're becoming, I'm amazed and how God has used a very broken father to cultivate beautiful things in his children. And obviously, I was not alone. Our church family over those years has really invested in our children. My wife has invested things I could never invest in them. All these things, I see now that what felt like a lot of work then has resulted in incredible satisfaction now. There was a time when my wife would say about kids, she'd say, hey, do you want to have more? And I'd be like, please don't make me. Please, I don't want to have any more kids. Now I look, and I'm like, we should have had more. We should have had like four more. They're so awesome. She's like, it's a good thing you didn't know that then. Right? And that's true of everything else. Do you know, now, pastoral ministry for the first five years, you can ask my wife, the first five years of pastoral ministry, 
I constantly wrestled with like, God, this can't be what you want me to do. This is too hard. I'm not enjoying it all the time. God, is, this, is there any fruit? Like, what is the point of this? God, I'm just stressed out all the time. This can't be your plan for me. And now I look back and I was in this maturing process. I had taken responsibility. It was way too big for me. And God was growing me into it. And now I look at the family that I have. Family that's not defined by last names and bloodlines and DNA and skin colors and age groups and all family that that, uh, traverses all of those lines. And I love it. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what God has cultivated in my life. But if there were these moments where I hadn't taken responsibility and stuck with the responsibility when I hated it, then I wouldn't cultivate the rewards later. And do you know what Jesus says? That is nothing compared to what I have for you later. The best this life can give you is nothing compared to what I have for you later. And so that's why every chance Jesus calls me to take more responsibility for his kingdom, I'm like, okay, yes, Lord, help me not to quit too early. Help me, Lord. Help me to take more responsibility. Help me to give you more because I believe Jesus when he says, I can reward you better than you can reward yourself. And more than I want whatever he has in store for me, I want to stand before him someday. And when he's done with, I'm sure, a long list of things, that he's like, hey, why, why didn't you do that differently? Why did you do it that way? I, I really hope to hear him at the end say, hey, I know you weren't perfect, but you did a good job. You were a good servant. And that is the best title that I want. More than I ever want to be called a good pastor or a good dad or a good husband or a great leader or a great man of God or any of those things. Those are all things that I I would treasure. I want Jesus to call me a good servant. That is what I want. And every day I make decisions that contribute to that or take away from that. And I believe, I believe that what Jesus said is true. And I know that you do as well. I just want to take a moment and pray and ask the question, what step of responsibility is Jesus leading you to take? What step of responsibility is Jesus leading you to take? And then we're going to talk about our mission forward responses. Father, we come to you this morning, all of Sound Life Church and all of our different places online and venues, and we just recognize that often we get caught up in reward systems and Systems of responsibility and privilege that are, are man-made, that are, are made by ourselves or our families, our culture. And Jesus, we want to be caught up in your system. We want to take responsibility for the people and things that you have given us. And Father, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that you would lovingly convict us of areas where we need to step up. You would lovingly convict us of attitudes that are negating responsibility that could be earning us privilege in your kingdom. Convict us, Lord, of mindsets of, of, of laziness or apathy or greed or addictions or idols, selfishness, pride, all these things that we read in 1 Timothy 3 can't be a part of maturity in your family. And Father, would you take us, Lord, from the newest member of this family to the most experienced veteran Christian in this family? Would you take us closer? Would you take us deeper? Would you mature us more? Both so that we can flourish, so that we can help the world around us flourish, and we can honor you with our Christ-centered flourishing. We ask these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus. By the power of your Holy Spirit, do it, Lord. Amen. Amen.